Hey everyone, it's Copeland Bell, your historical housekeeper. Welcome to Polish and Scream, where I document the historic homes I clean and the strange things that happen in them. This podcast is for mature audiences only. No little ears should be listening. So get nice and cozy, and let me tell you a story. Episode 5 Haskell House, They Whisper Most days, I stand firmly in the middle between skeptic and believer. I love a good ghost story, but in the back of my mind, I'm always going, yeah, right. I've been known to read the occasional scary story, but my all-time girl crush is Dana Scully, the ultimate skeptic. So when strange things happen, I typically try to look for an explanation. Some of you may be wondering, with all the strange occurrences I've seen, Why am I not constantly running out of a house, screaming and saying never again? The answer is simple. Much like a bad bike accident from your childhood, once it's over, you scrape yourself off and get back up. There aren't words strong enough to express how badly I wanted my business to succeed. If I kept backing out of every job that gave me the creeps, word would spread that I was unreliable. Honestly, I think the bigger question in all of this is, Why are so many of these homes strange? Diver had given me a warning, but all it had really done was fuel my curiosity and desire to keep going. After many weeks of uneventful cleanings at Haskell House, I'd left my mortifying first visit in the past. I don't know if you remember, but I literally jumped out of a window from fear. Monica, the owner, had either appreciated my work or felt badly because she had not only upped my pay above the usual fee, but added the top floor and increased hours to my schedule. Initially, I felt on edge about the phone call from her son James about the whispering man, but I chalked it up to another teen prank. It was finally November, which meant the morning air had a delicious snap to it. I pulled up to Haskell House, noting that the leaves of the tiny Japanese maple had started to curl under. Soon the streets would be ablaze with red and orange leaves. I'm not going to lie, I love boots and sweater weather. My curvy figure was made for colder seasons, which is part of the reason I chose Vermont after the divorce. Monica was waiting for me on the porch, which was a change from our normal schedule. She was dressed in black pajama pants and an old Metallica t-shirt her hair in a messy bun on top of her head. Don't get me wrong, she still looked amazing, but it was very different from her normal trendy-on-trendy, relaxed-but-oh-so-curated look. Good morning, Copeland. I almost forgot you were coming today, she said with her typical directness. Oh? was all I could respond, a little confused about what was happening yet again. Yes, I'm a little under the weather and took the day off from work. Monica said, and I could see a little pink under her nose from what looked like the sniffles. I'm sorry to hear that. Would you like to reschedule? I responded while pulling up the calendar on my phone. No, no, that won't be necessary. I'm going to rest in the bedroom. Please go about your business as usual. Just skip my room for today. 
she said, waving her arm towards the yellow front door and walking behind me. Only if you're sure. Would you like me to make you some hot tea while I'm here? I said. For the first time, I saw a tiny crack in Monica's normally brisk demeanor. Her bottom lip quivered for just a second. She stared at me for a moment longer than was comfortable before she said, You know, Copeland, that would be really nice. If you don't mind, of course. Thank you. She gave me a warm smile that reached her eyes and turned to walk up to the bedroom. I set up my cleaning supplies and then practically waltzed into the kitchen, remembering that heating the water would mean I got to use the fancy-ass stove. Once the tea was ready, I padded up the back staircase and knocked gently on the open door of Monica's bedroom. She looked so small, propped up in her king-size bed. I noticed that the white fluffy comforter had several stains on it. Her bedroom was filled with papers, books, and used tissues. I glanced to the side and noticed that the connecting bathroom was just as much of a wreck, full of wet towels and an overflowing trash can. When my gaze returned to her face, I could tell she was a little embarrassed. I know it's a mess. I rarely get sick, but when I do, I go down hard. I didn't want James to get sick, so I sent him to his father's house for the week. This is the fourth day, and uh, I'm finally starting to feel a little bit better. The exhaustion is what's unbearable, Monica said. She drank deeply from the warm mug of tea and let out a heavy sigh. Trying to put her at ease, I said, It's not that bad, but I'd feel a lot better if you'd let me clean up in here for you. I'll finish the rest of the house first so you can rest, then I'll do a quick tidy in this space. You won't even know I'm here, I promised. Truth be told, I'd been alone and sick more times than I could count, and I felt pretty bad for her. Being independent is wonderful, but a little help goes a long way when you feel like shit. She lowered her head for a beat and then said, Thank you, that would be really nice. I got started on the first floor, wanting to get the bulk of the general cleaning completed before moving on to the antique furnishings in Monica's bedroom. I was cruising through my list, knocking out the powder room, dusting and polishing the furniture, before moving on to the vacuuming. Monica had one of those fancy high-powered cordless vacuums I'd always loved using. I started vacuuming the first floor when I heard a loud thud from above, like someone had knocked over a chair or fallen out of bed. I set down the vacuum and bounded up the back staircase, rushing to Monica's room. I threw open the door to find her sound asleep, the real housewives of New York playing softly in the background. I checked the top floor and didn't find anything out of place. To be honest, it didn't take much to set me on edge in this house. I tried my best to ignore the tickle of a shiver that was trying to make its way up my spine. You're just winding yourself up, I kept reminding myself. I headed back downstairs and finished up the rest of my rounds before making my way to the upstairs bedrooms. Monica was still dozing away. Poking my head into James's room, I saw the teenager's space was as neat as a pen. He really had been gone all week. His large upholstered bed was made tightly and everything was put away in its place. I dusted and vacuumed before moving on to the guest bed and hallway bathroom. I kept a wary ear out the whole time. After my first visit, I refused to use my earbuds in this house. Finished with the guest bathroom, I stepped out onto the hallway. I looked in the direction of Monica's room. Everything was in its place. The long jute runner was neatly vacuumed. The small telephone table was polished and cleaned. But something gave me pause. What began as a tiny tickle in my brain developed rapidly into a deep sense of foreboding. The faintest sound came from the direction of Monica's bedroom. Like a radio station that was fading in and out. 
I couldn't hone in on it. The bedroom door groaned open, and I took a step backward. I'm awake now, Copeland, if you'd like to come in, Monica called out, poking her head out of the bedroom with a sleepy smile. I did not want to show this woman how anxious I was, but I was having trouble moving my feet down towards where she stood. Overriding my body's fear response is not the easiest thing for me to do. Come on down, she said, motioning with her hand. Get it together, I chided myself, ignoring my gut instincts. I took a deep breath and briskly walked down the hall and into her bedroom, shutting the door with both of us inside. I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to run away, but that wasn't an option. With as much cheerfulness as I could muster, I said, Why don't you get back in bed? I'll be done before you know it. In a testament to how badly she must have been feeling, Monica didn't argue and climbed back into bed. I started cleaning the bathroom, wanting to get the hardest part out of the way. Monica called out from the bedroom, Thank you so much for doing this. I'm embarrassed by the state of things in here. No worries, it's part of my job, and I know how hard it is to be sick and on your own, I said while cleaning the glass door of the steam shower. Yes, it is. I really miss James, she said with a hint of sadness in her voice. He'll be back as soon as you're on your feet, I said, out of breath from vigorous scrubbing. Well, I hope so. Monica said hesitantly. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said he was away so he didn't get sick. I didn't mean to pry, I said and made an oh shit face to myself from the privacy of the bathroom. Oh, he'll be back, I'm sure. He's just been feeling a little off in the house. James has never lived in the city before. In the home I used to share with my ex, well, it's on several acres of land. Nothing but crickets and birds chirping. I think the city noises are a bit much for him. He keeps saying he hears things at night that keep him awake in the house. She responded. I froze mid-scrub, flashing back to my phone call with James. The whispering man. You heard him too, didn't you? He'd said to me. My silence continued on as I wasn't quite sure of what to say. Monica went on. I mean, honestly, the house does seem strange sometimes. It creaks and groans like old houses do. But now that I've been here alone, I've heard things. Last night, I went to bed around 9.30, which is definitely earlier than normal. I was just so tired. So I took a dose of NyQuil and called it a night. Around 2.30, I woke up to people whispering. I fumbled for the remote, thinking I'd left the TV on again. But it was off. And the people, they just kept whispering. I couldn't make out what they were saying, but it sounded like a conversation. Figuring it was outside, I just went back to sleep. I didn't think anything more of it until this morning when I heard the same thing. But this time, I could tell it was coming from the bathroom. When she finished her sentence, goosebumps immediately formed over my entire body. What in the hell? Why would she even say something like that when I was in the very bathroom she was talking about? In that moment, I knew the phone call from James wasn't a prank. There was something very, very wrong in this house. I started to speed clean. Operation Get the Hell Out of There was in progress. I heard Monica clear her throat. I really wanted to tell her to stop talking. Normally, I enjoy client stories, but listening to her talk about whispering, accompanied with my growing anxiety and sense of dread, I was creeped the fuck out. Listen to me talking this nonsense. Copeland, I swear I'm not normally like this. 
I've clearly been deprived of company for far too long, Monica said. No worries, I get it, I said as brightly as I could manage. I stepped out into her bedroom and got to work, picking up dozens of tissues and dusting her room. It was weird to clean in front of someone, but my desire to leave laid all my insecurities aside. Thanks again, Copeland. You've been a real lifesaver today. I hate to ask, but would you mind making me another cup of tea before you go? It really helped my throat, Monica said. I really wanted to say no fucking way and hightail it out of that house. Instead, I said, sure, and grabbed her mug, the trash bag, and cleaning kit to carry downstairs. Be right back, I called out over my shoulder. Quick as a flash, I put the kettle on to boil while I packed up my supplies, placed them in front of the door, and took out the trash. I was not messing around. I made a concerted effort to keep my eyes focused ahead of me. The feeling of impending doom was so oppressive that it felt like someone would jump out and grab me at any moment. The walls of the house felt like they were vibrating with energy, making me feel claustrophobic despite the home's enormous size. The screeching of the kettle nearly made me pee my pants, but I made a quick mug of tea and ran up the stairs. Thank you so much, Monica said warmly, taking the mug from me. Here's a little something extra for you for your hard work, she said, extending an envelope towards me. Normally I'd be happy for a tip, but it seemed wrong. She was sick and living in a really scary house all alone. I was doing what I'd want someone to do for me. That's so kind of you, but not necessary, I said, backing towards the door. I hope you feel better soon. Monica continued to hold out the envelope. I insist, Copeland, please take it. Again, just wanting to leave, I crossed the room and took the thick envelope. Thank you for your generosity, was all I said, turning and walking towards the door. Copeland, Monica said quietly. Yes, I whispered, not turning around. I didn't want to. Didn't want to acknowledge what I'd heard. I knew she'd heard it too. As I'd crossed the room to take the envelope, I'd heard a sound coming from the bedroom closet. Thick like static. It continued to grow louder, the whispering of many voices all at once. This didn't sound like a conversation to me. It sounded like chaos. Hundreds of voices rasped and sputtered to life from behind the closed door of Monica's beautiful walk-in closet. I slowly forced myself to turn around, only to find a wide-eyed and terrified Monica sitting upright on the bed, her arms wrapped tightly around a pillow. The chorus of whispers rose to a crescendo as I silently motioned for Monica and I to leave the bedroom. Monica placed her hands over her ears and tears streamed down her face. Suddenly, the closet door flung open with such force that it slammed into the wall behind it. The thought passed through my brain that I really should scream, but no sound rose from within me. The voices amplified with the opening of the closet door, with male and female voices lowering and raising in pitch, tumbling together. We didn't wait to look inside. As we turned to leave, the voices rose in unison, saying, I see you. We ran both of us holding hands through the hallway, down the beautiful skinny front staircase, and out the pale yellow door. I silently thanked myself for putting my keys and rolling kit next to the door for a quick exit. Somehow, in our fearful race out of the house, we both wound up in my jeep. What was that? Monica asked, her voice quivering. I, I, I don't know, I responded honestly. What the fuck am I going to do? 
she said, staring at her beautiful and terrifying purple house. I drove Monica to her ex-husband's house on the outskirts of town. We didn't speak much, though there was plenty to say. When I pulled up to our destination, it was clear that Monica wasn't kidding when she told me about her former home. They had a good chunk of land. It was a beautiful house, new build, very contemporary with lots of steel and glass. Way, way beyond my means, but so not my style. Monica hesitated before opening the car door, then turned to me. You know, Copeland, you're new here, and no one ever told me until it was too late. Oakton, it's not like anywhere else. They told me it wouldn't be that bad. Honestly, I didn't even believe them. It was a mistake to underestimate them. I know you're ambitious. I can tell by the way you run your business. There is nothing wrong with ambition, but you need to decide how much you're willing to see and ignore to get what you want. Just be careful, she said before opening the door and hopping out. Wait, what do you mean? I called after her. She turned her back to me, held up her hand for a quick wave, and walked into the house, leaving my question unanswered. First Ivor, now Monica. I was getting really sick of these cryptic warnings. Clearly, I was going to need to find some information out on my own. I drove back to town, my mind spinning with ideas. I didn't hear from Monica for a while. I knew she'd reach out when she was ready. We'd witnessed something unexplainable together. I drove past Caskell House later that week, and there was a large red and blue for sale sign out front. I knew that in this neighborhood, it would sell quickly. I knew that despite its enchanting beauty, I would never step foot in that house again. I also knew that even Dana Scully would have trouble explaining this one. Thank you for listening to Polish and Scream.
Polish and Scream is created by M. Dawson with support from Becca Rhodes. 